All right, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, And he, the Lord, said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. So I just want you to realize that Ezekiel is writing about an experience that he had with God when he was called by the Lord. Verse 2, And he, the Lord, spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me, set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. Uh, they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So in this text, we have the uh, description of Ezekiel's call to serve the Lord. Ezekiel was a prophet of God that was called by God to speak to the Israelites um, after some of them had already been taken captive into Babylon. And this uh, text that we read is basically his call to ministry. And we're going to look at this call today, and there's basically three things, that three characteristics that we want to look at, and the three important truths that are relevant for us today as believers in Christ. These points are that we're going to look at one by one, is one, God initiates the call. Number two, God empowers the call. And number three, God defines the call. So we're going to look at the first one. God initiates the call. Again, Ezekiel 1, 1 through 3. Um, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Chabar River. But it's basically saying, I was in Babylon. And on the fifth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, or Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar River. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. Now, before we jump into that, just kind of give you a, a little um, grounding. You know, as many of you know, this time of the year is a season for what? What do they do in high school? Graduate. What do they do? Well, we hope they graduate. <laughs> at college, they graduate. May is when people graduate. For many, graduation from high school or college. Well, we'll talk about high school. High school is an open door for college. And how many of you know that college, I mean, you may not know this, a lot of people think going to college is just about learning facts and learning things like that, but college is more than just learning uh, knowledge or getting educated mentally. It's also about figuring out and narrowing down what we're going to do in life. I had a niece, uh, didn't know what she was going to do, you know, um, in life. And, and so, you know, I just recommended uh, going to college, but I don't know what I want to do. I said, well, that's part of the beauty if you do go to college. You, can, you don't have to do it this way, but you have all these different options. And if you don't find on the first round what you want to do, you may definitely find what you don't want to do. I don't want to be a psychologist. I don't want to be a sociologist. I don't want to have any, I don't want to be a mathematician. I don't want to, you know, and all that's just as important as well. Figuring out what we want to do, sometimes you've got to go through a process of elimination of, I cannot see myself doing this for the rest of my life. So it's about, it's, it's not only about knowledge, it's about figuring out what you're going to do later on in life. And for the Christian, that should imply more than just a desire to do something, but a sense that God has purpose and destined us for something in life. Now, uh, many of us didn't get saved until we were older in life, but if you uh, grew up in church, um, at least, I can't talk about in other churches, but what I would like for you to know is that from a very young age, we should be instilling in our children that God did not just uh, uh, appear in your life um, at a point just to uh, redeem your life 
from something he had no clue about. You were actually purposed and created by God for a reason. When God created you, he actually had a purpose in mind. And when he created you, he put the gifts and abilities that he wanted you to have, that you were going to need to have, in order to be to able to fulfill and carry out his will for your life. Now, if you live your life without God, or we've lived our life just kind of going to church and letting God in our life for a little bit of time, we may have found our destiny anyway without realizing it, but many of us may not have. But God's desire and what we should realize and what we should uh, instill in our children is don't just try to find a way to make it through life. Try to find what God destined you to do in life. And when you find what God destined you to do in life, you know, then, then give, it, give it your all. What that, that, uh, for the Christian, that should imply more than just a desire to do something, but a sense that God has destined us for something in life. And what that something might be is to be discovered through a context of relationship and prayer. Many churches, in helping us to discover what our purpose might be, use tools to determine what the purpose of God is for our life. We, many churches or, or people use gift tests, personality tests, and the like, and they try to narrow down uh, that for which God has designed us for. And while there can be a purpose for these things, ultimately the will of God for our lives is not determined by a test. I remember when I was in seminary, I was listening to one of the students who decided to become a minister, and, and he was talking about how he ended up in seminary. And he was talking about how people noticed he was a good listener, how he cared for people, and as a result suggested that it might make him a good minister. And he thought, well, yeah, I, I think I'll do that. And so he found himself in seminary pursuing a ministry degree. Now, as logical as that may be, Ezekiel shows us what a call from God is most likely to entail. It's not you're good with people, you should go into the ministry. I'll tell you something. I wasn't good with people, and God called me to the ministry. I'm not in the ministry because I'm a good listener, I'm a good, good with people. I'm in the ministry despite that. I'm in the ministry because God called me into the ministry. This is what Ezekiel is showing us. It's not like, hey, you could do this, or this is an option. If we don't know any better, that's, that's how you begin to approach it. But what I'm trying to get you to realize is that God actually has a purpose and plan for your life. And if you will spend time with God and ask God what his desire is for your life, and I know I'm talking to older people here, but we can counsel other people. We can, got, uh, we've got kids, we've got grandkids, and we don't want them to grow up the way we grew up. You know, uh, Some of y'all may have found a good job that you liked or your purpose in life, and some of you may have found something that got you through life, uh, but did you really find your purpose and destiny in your life? That's a different thing right? And we may not have been able to do that, but we learn from our mistakes, and what we hope for is the next generation doesn't make the same mistakes that, mistakes that we make. Uh, my kids haven't grasped that yet. <laughs> uh, I want to try to, hey, don't do this. I, I've learned that. I've been through that. I'm trying to give them some nuggets. I'm trying to give them some wisdom. This is what I want them to learn from my life, but a lot of times what you find out is that just like we're hard-headed, and, and we didn't want to hear anybody else and what they said in life, we, we kind of, our kids want to kind of do the same thing. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to influence them where they don't come around sooner. Hopefully, they'll come around sooner than we did. Right? So, easy, uh, 
God has a purpose and, 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 a, and, a, and a destiny for each and every one of our lives. And if we will just spend time with God, what you will find is that God's purpose and destiny for your life is actually what fulfills us and will fulfill us in life. Uh, because a lot, some people say, well, I just want to live, I want to be happy in life. If you live for God, you'll find joy in your life, if not happiness. Life in God is not about, a lot of people bring that idea of happiness into the Christian life. Well, I just want to be happy. That's what God wants. God can make me happy. Well, God can make you happy, but a lot of things in the Christian life won't make you happy. Suffering for God won't make you happy. It doesn't make me happy. Going through difficulties doesn't make me happy, but that's part of the Christian life as well. But if you're not a Christian, you're going to go through difficulties too. Well, then why would I become a Christian? Because if you're, when you're a Christian, when you go through difficulties, you have someone that you can look to, someone that can bring you through, someone that can deliver you, whereas without God, you're basically on your own. If I'm going to go through these things in life, everybody goes through storms. If I'm going to go through difficulties in life, I want to go knowing that, that God is with me because with God, faith in God, trust in God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? And so what I was talking about is that a lot of people live the Christian life. Well, God's about, you know, uh, the Christian life is about me being happy or, or, you know, I just want to be happy in life. But Jesus didn't go to a cross because he wanted to be happy. He went to a cross because of the joy that was set before him. In other words, this is what I got accomplished in life, and if I will accomplish this in life, it's actually bringing pleasure to God and helping people that actually fulfills uh, us to the greatest extent because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. That's what actually brings the most fulfillment to us in life. Love does not seek its own. Love seeks the benefit and the welfare of others. You will do things for love that you wouldn't do if you weren't in love. And that's what the Christian life is about. Why am I doing, why am I not doing, I like to watch, I was just watching them before I got there. Anybody like to watch like uh, House Hunters International? I love that. I love to watch that show. Man, if it, and if it wasn't for my call, I'd be globetrotting all over the world. I'd be in Paris, I'd be in Germany, I'd be in Bolivia, I'd be in all these kind of things because it's what I want to do. So why in the world am I not doing what I want to do because it's not what I'm called to do? There's a difference in life. What I'm called to do is to preach the gospel. And what we're going to find here is that what God has called me to do, He empowers me to do. I'm not able to do what I do because my gifts and my talents uh, uh, told me that this is what I was destined for. No, God called me to it and then he empowered me to do it. We'll get there in a minute. And then I, as a, as a servant of God, have found in life that when I do what he wants, things go better for me. Not that God makes it difficult for me, is that I find myself under the cloud, under his presence, and when I'm under his presence, the enemy doesn't have as much access into my life. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, and my God in whom I trust. I tell my wife and I tell people all the time, I'd rather be in the middle of a desert under the cloud than in the blessed place on earth, not under the cloud of God's presence. Amen? So why am I here in Lake Jackson? Because this is where the cloud landed in my life. Right? And this is where I found out, and, uh, I found out that what... I, what I, I may not have wanted to do this. I've always wanted to be a missionary and all that kind of stuff. But I do it because I love God. And I found that the love of God also has transferred in my life to what I didn't have before, which is a love for you. I love y'all. I do. 
before, <laughs> thank you very much, before, thank you, Anna. No, Anna didn't say that. <laughs> before, I, I would never let anybody in. You're just my job. You're, uh, you're my, uh, uh, what God has charged me over. But I found that uh, over time, the love of God in, uh, 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 is what fuels me to do what brings pleasure to him. And that love of God fuels me to do what brings strength and comfort and gives the edification and the equipping that you need in life. So in other words, I'm not spending myself to make me happy. I'm spending myself because it brings pleasure to God and because it equips you. But in doing that, it brings fulfillment into my life. Am I making sense to you? Right? And for me, there's no greater joy. It's like if I had to lose a kidney... For my daughter to be well or my wife to be well or my other daughter to be well if i had to lose a kidney that's not that, that doesn't feel good but it would bring great fulfillment in my life knowing that i could help one of mine my my own blood i i, I would sacrifice for them and there's something about sacrifice for somebody else that's in the heartbeat of god that's the nature of god am i making sense to you so let me get back so what, what this guy was saying, well, I thought I'd be good at it, and so that's why I'm here in seminary. As logical as that, be, that may be, Ezekiel shows us what a call from God is more likely to entail. The word of the Lord, uh, it may not be as intense, but they all involve that aspect somehow of God initiating a call in your life. The word of the Lord, in Ezekiel's case, came to Ezekiel. Ezekiel's call to divine service is described in a language that was reserved for the royal court. Having been brought into the presence of a king or a monarch, a person would signify subjection with the gesture of being prostrate before the king. In other words, when you became into the presence of a monarch or a, or a royal uh, uh, king or queen, you would bow before them. And that's what happened with Ezekiel. When he was in the presence of the king, boom, he was flat on his face. He may not have had anything to do with it, but he was flat on his face because that's what happens when you come. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess when you come before the king of kings and the lord of lords. When Paul had a revelation of God, he was knocked off his horse on the ground prostrate before the Lord. Right? Or one would not dare rise until one had received authorization to do so from the king. My point is that the call to service in Ezekiel's life was not initiated by Ezekiel. Ezekiel was just going along, doing what he knew how to do, and the word of the Lord came to him, and the call to serve God in ministry is not initiated by us, but is initiated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's, it's all throughout Scripture. I'll give you a few instances. Exodus 3, 4 through 10. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, don't come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. In a sense, he was prostrate before the Lord. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Who initiated the call? God. 
Yet Moses went out there looking for God. Moses went out there saying, oh man, I, I need to deliver the people. He tried that before 40 years earlier, and that's why he's on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep. But God came looking for him and said, Moses, I'm looking for you. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. This is what I want to do, and I want to send you. And Moses, like, like many of us, but eventually, yes, Lord, he went down to Egypt, just like God told him to. So Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, I already told you a little bit about it, but it's kind of like Saul. As he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Now I want you to know that Paul was going the exact 180 degree opposite to where he would end up. He wasn't just not serving God. He was actually persecuting and killing Christians. And all of a sudden, a light from heaven shone around him and fell falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord, and he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Paul wasn't looking for who he thought, uh, he wasn't looking for Jesus to be the Son of God to, to do something for him. He was actually doing the opposite, but Jesus came looking for him. God initiated the call. And what we see in these encounters is that the call to serve was initiated by God. But not only does God initiate the call, but when you get a call from God, the call is empowered by God as well. I want to give you guys hope, because most people will say, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. My personality test doesn't say I can do that. My gift test doesn't say I can do that. That's fine. It's not about what you can do. It's about what you, God can do through you. It's not about your ability. You've heard this before. It's about your availability. You hear what I'm saying? God empowers the call, verse 2. And as he, the Lord, spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. What did God say? Stand on your feet, Ezekiel. Ezekiel couldn't do that. And all of a sudden, in verse 2, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He didn't have that ability before, but when God said, Ezekiel, stand up, the Spirit of God actually equipped him to do what he could not do on his own. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Many people try to evaluate what they can or cannot do in their lives based on what they can and cannot do at the moment that God is having an experience or they're having an encounter with God. What we see with Ezekiel is that when God called Ezekiel and asked him to stand up and, and, and Ezekiel began to submit himself to the Lord, the Spirit of God then entered into him, set him on his feet. As we've said before, God does not call the equip, but he equips the call. You've got to submit to it. But if you will submit to it, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me, for he has anointed me to do what he's called me to do, which is to preach. And there's more to that as well. But how does he preach? Well, he's the Son of God. Yes, he's the Son of God, but he didn't function on this planet as the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2 says he left, in a sense, his deity off to the side. He functioned in this earth as a man, as a human being, just like you and I. Well, then how did he do what he do? He got filled and baptized with the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and that's why he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me too. To do what? To preach. To open blinded eyes. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. You say, well, I can't do these things. That's right, but the Spirit of God on your life can help you to do what you cannot do on your own. I can't preach because I went to seminary. Seminary didn't help me to preach. What the, re the ability that I have to proclaim the gospel came because I was empowered by the Spirit of God, and I am empowered by the Spirit of God. 
right? Moses' complaint was that he could not speak, Exodus 4, 10 through 12. Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and if you will go, I'm adding that, I will be with your mouth, and in other words, I will equip you to do what you cannot do, and I will teach you what you're going to say. Right? God's telling Moses that he will teach or cause to happen or grant or deposit into his life what he is to speak. In other words, it will be a divine enablement to do what he cannot do on his own. Romans 1 and 11, Paul says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 1 Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the gift of God which you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. What I want you to glean from these scriptures is that God enables you by His Spirit to do what you cannot do on your own. I don't have it in here, but do you remember in the Old Testament when God says, okay Moses, uh, I want you to take Joshua and I want you to put on Joshua some of the Spirit that rests on you. Now, why is that important? Because Moses was leading because of the Spirit of God that was on his life. And what we learn from this is now now Joshua is going to have to take over. Well, how is he going to lead? Well, it wasn't going to be because of his natural gifting, his leadership. It was going to be by divine enablement, by the Spirit of God in his life. Moses took him, laid hands on him, and the Spirit of God came upon Joshua to do what he could not do just a few minutes before. It's the Spirit of God on our lives, not just for preaching, but for anything that God calls us to do that will enable us to do that. If you have a call to business, we've been doing business by business principles, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it'd be interesting to be able to do business by the empowerment of the Spirit. I learned the business principles, but what if I learned to be sensitive to the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God says, buy this, or don't buy this, or I want you to move into here. And you're not just doing business because of good knowledge or good experience or whatever. All that's important, but now you're doing business because you're called to business. God's called you to do that, and all of a sudden He's working with you and telling you and leading you to those things that are going to prosper you in life. You're doing business by the Spirit of God. Well, God doesn't call people to do business. Didn't He call Bezalel and Aholiab to be craftsmen? You know that God that calls and empowers people to be musicians, to be craftsmen, to be uh, all sorts of things in life. And Bezalel and Holiab had the capacity to do what God asked them to do, which is build some of the furniture and some of the, uh, the orna- ornamentation and the, and the uh, uh, things, that they, the bowls and the labors and all the things that needed to be built for the tabernacle. The reason these guys could do it is because the Spirit of the Lord came upon them to equip them to do what they couldn't do before. So whatever it is that God calls you to do, if God's leading you into something, don't think, well, can I do it? Uh, Do I have the ability to do it? No, your first question should be, is God in this? Is God leading me to do this? Is this your desire for my life? And then don't say, well, I'll do it if. No, I'll do it then. After you decide to fulfill and follow after God, then you'll be equipped. A lot of us are waiting for the empowerment before we'll do. No, oftentimes the empowerment comes after you do. I remember, I was, uh, two things. One, I was remember, I've told you this story before, but I, I don't feel things the way many of y'all feel things. It's not that I'm without feeling. I just, I don't sense 
the empowerment, like many of y'all would sense the empowerment of God in my life. I, I just don't do that. I think after service, sometimes if I'm still uh, under the presence of the Lord, I come around you, some of y'all feel that, but I, I just don't. It's just there. It's just like you get used to wearing a coat and you don't realize you have a coat on, but you put it on somebody else, oh, they say it's so heavy, you know? I, I just, I, I've never felt that. But I remember one time I became conscious of the fact that I was anointed to do what I do when I had thrown my back out. And I threw my back out, and I was uh, used, to, used to be when I threw my back out, I would go down in spasms for about a day, and then I would be able to get up, and I'd be walking crooked, and it was hard, it hurt, but I was walking crooked for about a week, and then after about a week, I was on my way, you know? Well, I had hurt my back, like on a Friday or a Saturday, and I knew how to preach on Sunday, and, and I thought to myself, well, maybe I just better call in and, you know, say I can't do it, but then I thought to myself, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do this time. The enemy will always try to keep me out of the pulpit with my back. I said, no, I'm going. So I walked into the church, crooked like this, you know, it's kind of like this is the way I used to do it. I walked into the church, and I don't get, get up to preach. And when it was my turn to preach, I get in the pulpit, and I start preaching. And then uh, 45 minutes later, because I just have a 45-minute anointing. <laughs> 45 minutes later, I sat down, and when I sat down, I'm going to go sit down, all of a sudden people were like, why? I said, afterwards, they said, did you not see what happened? I said, no. He said, when you walked in the pulpit, you were as crooked as all crooked can be. And as soon as you started preaching, you went straight as an arrow, and you were straight as an arrow for the whole time you were preaching. And as soon as you came out of the pulpit, you went crooked again. Right? At least I wasn't crooked in the pulpit. <laughs> I'm not a crooked preacher. Anyway, uh, but what I'm trying to tell you is that what it was to me, it was, oh, I didn't do it. Uh, what it was to me, <laughs> it was a, a visible illustration of the presence of God in my life. And for the people, it was a visible illustration of the presence of God. I can't do what I do without that. I can't, I can't put a sermon together without that. It's the presence of God in my life. Who God calls, he equips. I think AJ did a little teaching here on, on uh, Sunday night. And um, I... I AJ can tell you. I, I worked with AJ, and I said, okay, AJ, you feel called to ministry? Yeah, I feel called to ministry. I said, you feel, uh, I said, I want to go to Bible school. I said, let's kind of work on that a little bit. Let's see whether or not you've got some of that in you or not, because you can be in ministry without preaching. There are other forms of ministry as well. I said, so I gave him a, a journal. I said, I want you to go home, and I said, I want you to read your Bible every day, and if you get a thought, then I want you to write it down. Because I remember when, when I first started reading my Bible, I, I remember the very first thing God spoke to me. I was on the, in the book of Matthew. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. And I thought, wow, that star was leading people to Jesus. We can be like stars and lead people to Jesus, you know. And what that was, it was a third sermon thought. And because God's calling me to preach and he's giving me ideas and thoughts of how, how to do that. But AJ, I gave him this book. I said, every time you feel like something, I want you to write it down. He comes back after, well, you got anything? Nothing, blank. So give it a little bit more. Another two weeks later, nothing blank. Six weeks later, nothing in there. Absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, other than I'm hungry, um, pastor's mean to me, stuff like that. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go in his office anymore. <laughs> but there was nothing relevant in there. I said, AJ, I don't know. I don't think you have that preaching call in you. If you go to Bible school like this, you're going to die in Bible school. Because it's all about the preach. That's what it's about. It's not about worship. You're called to ministry, but right now, I said, I don't see that in your life. But I have something in the back of me said, well, maybe that's for right now. And then we had a service, um, I'm going to say it was about a year ago, and I was preaching on impartation, and I felt like AJ, I was supposed to pray for him, 
he was up there, so he didn't come down, but I prayed for other people as well. And I said, I just pray in a keeping with what the Lord showed me that, what, what, that God will equip you to do what you could not do on your own. That will God give you the ability to do that. And a week later, a message shows up, just like my message. Apparently he has access to my message. I said, I don't remember writing that. Where'd that come from? And I started reading it, and AJ said, I wrote that. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to preach on uh, at the youth meeting. And I thought, wow, what happened? How that happened? What he could not do just one week before when the Spirit of God came upon his life and equipped him and impart, uh, it was an impartation on his life, equipped him to do what he could not do. It wasn't because he had the ability. It's because the Spirit of God gave him the ability in his life. And he preached here on Sunday night. He did a great job. Fantastic. He did not have that ability a couple of years ago. What made the difference? Whom God calls, God equips right so that's what i need you to understand so what we've seen so far is that god initiates the call and then god empowers the call the third thing we want to learn from ezekiel's life is that god defines the call and this is one that many of us may may struggle with but god defines the call verse three and four and ezekiel said to me son of man i send you to the people of israel to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And I can imagine thinking of like your Ezekiel, Oh, come on. You're going to send me to the most difficult place on the planet. You're sending me to the most difficult people on the planet. I don't want to do that. I was talking with my brother. Uh, was it today or yesterday? I said, it's, it's interesting to me. I've been here, I'll be here 18 years. Uh, like I say, I came here in 2004. It's 2000. So that's 18, no, that's going to be 19 years this year, right? I'll be here 19 years this year, and we started, I'll tell you what kind of anointing I have. We started out with 29, went up to about 120, 140, and after that we came down to about 60, and we've been about 60 ever since. And, I, and I'm okay with that. I know God's doing stuff. I know God's got me here. God's working our lives, whatever the case may be. But it's interesting how another person can start a church, and in a year they'll have like, 150 people, and then they'll have 300 people, and they'll have 3,000 people. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I used to think there was something wrong with me, but I don't realize I think that's not the case anymore. It's just whatever land you're given, it doesn't respond the same. Right? If you plant in, in Brenham, or if you plant in, let's just say, let's use the whole nation as an example, if you plant seed in Kansas, you're going to get a crop. Right? But if you try to plant seed in New Mexico, in the deserts of New Mexico, uh, you're going to have to do a lot of work to get to a place. You're going to have to make sure there's a water source. You're going to have to make sure that there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, the ground has, uh, uh, you're going to have to rejuvenate the ground. You're going to have to do all this. It's going to take a long time before you can get any kind of crop in New Mexico, right? And basically what Ezekiel, what God is telling Ezekiel, he said, I'm not just sending you to New Mexico. I'm sending you to the Sahara, Sahara Desert. <laughs> you know? So God, God's telling Ezekiel that I'm not sending you to foreigners, but to the nation of Israel. And he goes on and he says that because if I sent you to them, they would listen to you and they would respond. But the people I'm sending you to, they're not going to respond. By the way, I'm not talking to you. I'm just, this is Ezekiel talking, okay? So some of you are going, is that the way you feel? No, no, no. It's not the way I feel. I'm just trying to teach you something, right? So why is this important for us? Because Ezekiel's call was defined by God. He was given a sphere to which he was responsible to proclaim. It wasn't up to him, it was up to God. Listen to what I'm telling you. 
It wasn't up to him, it was up to God. If we had a choice, we might want to go to certain areas. We might want to go to certain places. We might see people having a lot of success up in the woodlands, Kingwood. They have a lot of people, a lot of money. Let's go over there. We can, and that's in the natural way of doing things. But I want you to know, remember what I said before? I'd rather be in the desert under the cloud than somewhere I'm not supposed to be, which might be a nice, better place, but God's not there with me. And basically what God is telling Ezekiel, he says, I'm sending you to a difficult and rebellious people, but there in this place is where I've defined for you to be, and if you will do what I ask you to do, I will be with you. You hearing what I'm saying? 2 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, We, however, Paul says, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. The word sphere is from the Greek word metron. A metron is a measure, a measured rule, or a prescribed limit. In English, the word sphere is defined as an area or range over or within which someone or something acts, exists, or has influence or significance. In short, it's a certain place of influence that has been assigned by God. Again, when I was in seminary, I was listening to another student who was sharing his philosophy of the call in his life. He believed that he was called to the ministry, but where he served didn't matter. What denomination he served in didn't matter. What place he served in, it didn't matter. Basically, it didn't matter what denomination, what people, what country he chose to go to as long as he was doing ministry. And you know what? Every servant's accountable to his own master. But for me, I said, uh-uh, that doesn't work for me. And I'm pretty sure, after reading the Bible, it's not just me. Now, some of us have more freedom to do things than others, but the more responsibility you've been given, usually the more restrictions you have in life. To whom much is given, much is required. When you don't have a lot of responsibility, maybe you can do whatever you want. Let's go over here for a little while. Let's go to this church. Let's go to this country. Let's do, and maybe you can, because like I said, every service is accountable to his own master. But I've been given a call on my life, and God has told me this is where you're going to be. And so if I was to do that, I would actually be violating uh, 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 my relationship or my call in life by doing what I want to do and not what God has assigned me to do. I liken it to like being in the military. You get assigned to a certain place. You were in the military, right? If you got assigned to go to a certain basic camp somewhere, which camp did you go to? Fort Dix, okay. Was that in Colorado? Where was that at? In New Jersey. So now what if you said, I don't want to go to New Jersey. I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to go because I want to go to Colorado. And you show up in Colorado, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, well, we're just glad you came. We're just glad you're in the Army. You're in the Navy. We're just so thankful. No, they put you in the brig. Why? Because it's not about what you want. It's about what they want for you. Now, God's not a taskmaster. He's given us free will. If we decide to do our own thing, he's not like he's going to hold us over the fire or whatever the case may be. But what I've learned in life is that life 
works better for me when I submit my will to his will. And what I usually find is that what I wanted on the outset looks good, but if I follow God, when I do what he wants on the beginning, it doesn't look so good. But what I want usually at the end would not work out so good. But if I do what God wants, it doesn't look so good at the beginning. It always works out good. Right? Broad is the way. Easy is the way that leads to destruction. And usually when we decide to do what we want to do, we're looking for the broad way, the easy way, the glamorous way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. What is the narrow way? The cross. He that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Why would anyone want to go to the cross? Because after the cross is the resurrection. On the other side of the cross, there is a resurrection that's not only going to benefit us in life, but it's going to benefit all those around you. You live uh, today, you're going to die tomorrow, but if you're willing to die today, you're going to live tomorrow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, what I'm trying to get you to realize and what I'm trying to get you to understand that for me, it's important not only to do what God wants me to do, but to be where God wants me to be. Right? And so for me, it's like, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's say, okay, let's say that um, I'll use a job as an example. I got a job offer, uh, not me, I'm just saying as an example. You get a job offer for $150,000, you're presently making $80,000, and you get a job offer for $150,000, we're like, yeah, I'm going. Right? And you think, why? Because more money, that's God's will for my life. He wants to bless me. Never pray about it. Never ask God about it. Just more money, better benefits. It's good school districts. I'm going over there. But guess what happens? You go over there, and the company goes bankrupt. How good is your $150,000 now? Not so good. Or you get over there, and you get under a boss, and you get on a team that absolutely despises you. And you have to go to work every day, you know, you hate, and you start having health problems because you're stressed, you're anxious, you hate where you work, you know, but you're making more money. But if you were to pray about it, and, uh, you know, God says, now I know that looks good for you right now, but he doesn't always tell you this. He says, I want you here. But it's making less money. But this is where I want you. But, 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 but this is what I said. But see, we don't know the end from the beginning. We don't know what's going to happen in life. But we have to trust God that he does. It don't look so good right now. But over time, I know that it's going to be a great harvest if you'll stay here. I know it's going to be best for you, best for your family, best for those around you. And you know, that's what happened when I came here. Now that's true. When I came here, it didn't look so good. Right? But the Lord said, this is where I want you to be. And I want you to know, 19 years later, it looks a lot better than it did uh, 19 years ago, right? I'm grateful to be here. God's done more for me in my life, uh, 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 personally, uh, uh, family-wise, relationally, he's done more for me here than I would have ever had somewhere else. I may have had more money, more prestige, but in the end, what good does that do if you're dying inside? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God doesn't always send us, uh, in our text we see something different from what God has shown Ezekiel. God is telling Ezekiel that he's called to the Israelites, that he is in exile with. This is the, the sphere in which God has sent him and to which he is sent to declare the word of the Lord. God doesn't always send us to the place or the people that we most identify with or want to reach. 
he often sends us to the very opposite. Rick Jordan's book, Apostolic Ministry, says the Lord sent Peter to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. It really seems that the Lord got these backwards, or at least to our natural way of thinking. Of course, Paul would have related to the Jews much better than Peter could since Peter was an ignorant fisherman. Peter would have been much more at home with the Gentiles and they with him. But the Lord put them both in situations where they would be profoundly uncomfortable. Both Peter and Paul uh, and Ringo and... No, I'm just kidding. Both Peter and Paul were sent to preach to those who would be repelled by them in the flesh. The only way they could fulfill their commission was to be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We also think that we're called to the ones for whom we have the greatest burden. Paul unquestionably had a much greater burden for the Jews. He declared that he would give up his own salvation if it would lead to their salvation. Even so, Paul was not called to the Jews. Neither are we necessarily called to those whom we have the greatest burden for. The calling of God is not defined by how we feel. The calling of God is defined by God. We are to follow the cloud. It's not the same as the iCloud, by the way. We're talking about the presence of God. It is an analogy. It is a type of the presence of God. We are called to follow the cloud in our lives, and wherever the cloud goes, we are to follow. The cloud doesn't follow us. Huge truth. If you will get this, it will save you much pain in life. The cloud doesn't follow you. You follow the cloud. God is not at our beck and call. Many of us, when we get saved, we say, God, uh, come on in, get in my car, and we're driving. We want God to get in the front seat or the back seat, but we never let go of the wheel. Christianity doesn't work that way. You may get to heaven, but you're going to have a lot of wrecks in life because we don't know how to drive. We think we know how to drive, but we don't know how to drive in life. We want to have an overcoming, victorious life. I didn't say easy. I didn't say you won't struggle, but I'm talking about an overcoming life. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony because they did not, live, live, they did not love their lives even unto death. They loved God. They submitted to God. That scripture that I said, he that would come after me must deny himself. It actually, another way of translating that, must deny his right to self-rule. Take up his cross and follow after him. The cloud doesn't follow us. We follow it. It's underneath the cloud that we find the provision and protection of God for our lives. In the same way, God leads us into the fullness of the call he is issuing us to. He is issuing to us, and he wants to send us to. In short, he defines the call. So what, what, what did we say today? God initiates the call. God empowers those he's called. And then God determines where that call is supposed to take place. Maybe you're here today, and you find yourself in a situation where, one, what my prayer has been and my prayer will be, because one of the things that we're not seeing as much today, and it troubles me, it bothers me, that, uh, that there are not people... That, that believe that God is calling them to ministry the way they used to. And you know what? I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that God is not calling people into ministry. I just believe people aren't hearing God call them. Right? And so one of my desires in life, and one of the things that I'm praying for, and I'm going to believe God for, is that out of this church, because I'm not responsible for other churches, but I want it to be in all churches, but at least out of this church, we will begin to raise up a generation of people that realize that 
preaching or serving God. Not that everything is a call. Everything is a call. Working at Dow can be a call. Working in, in, in school can be a call. Teaching can be a call. Motherhood is a call. We want that. But I'm a preacher. You pray for people to go into their calls. That is my desire in life. But I want to see, for me, a sign that people are starting to hear and yield to God is that we're going to see more people say, I feel like I have a call to preach. I have a call to ministry. And I want to tell you something. If you're not called to ministry, I don't want to see you in ministry, and I don't want to see you fulfilling that because you would be out of the will of God. But if you're called to ministry and you're doing something else, I want to tell you something. No matter how good you think you have it, never going to be as good as if you follow God and do his will for your life. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe you might be in a situation where, you know what? I, I, I feel like God's calling me to something. God's calling me to the ministry. Or God's calling me to a, a vocation. Or God's calling me to something. You know, uh, whenever Ezekiel uh, had been a prophet for a long time and he was confronted by the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6 and I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up. He recognized his own sin. God touched his sin with a coal. An angel sent and touched his lips with a coal. And all of a sudden when he was touched and he was cleansed, he heard the voice of the Lord. My, my hope today is that you will begin to hear the voice of the Lord. And here was what he heard. He heard the Lord saying, who will go for me? Whom will I send? He didn't say, Isaiah, will you go? He didn't say, Richard, will you go? Or Doug, will you go? He just said, who will go for me? And whom will I send? My prayer is that I believe God is still asking, who will go for me? And whom will I send? And I believe that some of y'all have been called in the past, but because some of the ways that you've lived life, you thought, well, that's no longer for me. I want you to know the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And maybe the enemies told you, no more. It's not going to happen. I'm here to tell you that God don't think the same. Moses was 40 years old when he realized he was going to be a deliverer of Israel. Went about it the wrong way. And for 40 years, he spent it on the backside of the desert. But 40 years later, at the age of 80, God said, Moses, I'm looking for you. You still have a call in your life. This is what I purpose and destined for your life. I need you to respond. I need you to go. When I say need, God can do it with anybody. But what I'm saying is that I'm looking for you, Moses. And Isaiah said, he heard the voice of the Lord. Whom will go for me? Whom will I send? And Isaiah said, well, I guess he's talking to me. I'll go. And if you hear the voice of God, I'm here to tell you. It's not like something in you going, yeah, it would be a nice thing to do. No, you're hearing the voice of God. Whom will go for me? Whom will I send? I want to encourage you like Isaiah. Don't think about it. Don't, can I do it? Do I have the ability? No, you don't. Then what do I do? Just say, here am I. Send me. Right? Or if you find yourself in a place where I feel like God's called me to something, but I feel like I'm not in the place where I need to be. Well, it's a great time. The Bible says that we confess our sins, faults, shortcomings. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance means I realize that I'm doing the wrong thing, and I'm not just recognizing I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to get where you need me to be.